read the Bible together and ask God to speak to us. Because, um, you know, we, we ask God to, to cause truth to leap off the pages of the Bible and into our hearts so that it comforts us and strengthens us. And uh, because God loves to do that. God loves to speak to us. And he loves us to have those light bulb moments where we are changed on the inside. And actually, it changes our lives as well. And I want to just say this morning, um, this is for everyone. Even if church is not somewhere you'd normally be at 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning, uh, don't count yourselves out from the next few minutes because um, who knows? Maybe just maybe God will tell you something that actually literally changes your life. So over the past few months, we have been, um, as a church, opening up the Bible to a letter written by a man called Paul to a church that he started in the city of Corinth. And we've been on a journey through it, verse by verse. It's taken about six months. And now we're coming into land. We've reached the last chapter. And Paul, the man who wrote it, is wrapping up his letter. And I tell you what, if Paul had Twitter, then he's absolutely nailed it. He's absolutely nailed it. He's tweeted the perfect tweet. Somehow, he's managed to bring all that he was saying in the 13 chapters of the letter, and he's brought it down into 140 characters, which I know is the old Twitter amount. I know the new Twitter amount is 280. But um, he's wrapping it up, and he's crafted this beautiful closing sentence that is astonishingly brief and yet paints a complete picture of the God that we believe in. And at the same time, um, he sums up with the same words what the Christian uh, life is all about. It's become one of the most famous parts of the Bible. Paul uses it to close his letter. Churches across the world use it to close their Sunday services. It's a prayer and it's a proclamation rolled into one and spoken over our lives. And the good thing about it is it's totally tweetable. Have a look at the screen. The amazing grace of the master, Jesus Christ. The extravagant love of God. The intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. And that's how he wraps it up. The amazing grace of the Master Jesus, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you. More traditionally, you might recognize it like this. This is how it was when I was growing up. You can join in if you know it. I know some of you will know this. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, come on, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and evermore. Amen. Some of you are showing your age by knowing that, by the way. <laughs> what brilliant words to pray and proclaim over Kate's life this morning as she gets baptized. And also for all of us who've heard these words before, maybe they've become a little bit familiar, maybe a little bit too familiar. 
maybe we've lost our wonder at them. My hope this morning is that the Spirit of God will breathe life into those words, that they'll come alive in our spirit, um, and that just something of the wonder of what we've just proclaimed returns and pulls us closer into Jesus. We're talking about grace, which has been a huge part of Kate's journey, love and friendship. Being a Christian starts with grace. Grace is at the core of everything we believe as followers of Jesus. So it's really important that we understand what we actually mean when we're talking about grace. I once heard a story of a little eight-year-old girl called Lucy who had been adopted into a family, but it hadn't gone well. The parents hadn't quite figured out how to integrate Lucy into their family of biological children. For several years in a row, when the family headed off to Disneyland, Lucy would be left behind with a family friend. She began to believe that this happened because she did something wrong. And after a couple of tough years, the family dissolved the adoption and a new family ended up welcoming Lucy into their home. The new dad found out about Lucy's exclusion from Disneyland, and so he made plans for her and the whole family to go. In the months leading up to the trip, Lucy's behavior spiraled down and down. She stole. She lied. She was very mean to her sisters. As the day got closer to, to the trip, as the days got closer to the trip, her behavior worsened. A couple of days before they were due to go, the dad um, called Lucy over and he pulled her up onto his lap. And before he could say a word, Lucy said, I know what you're going to do. You're not taking me to Disneyland, are you? And at that moment, her bad behavior started to make sense to the dad. She knew she couldn't earn her way into the magic kingdom. She had tried that and failed. So she was living in a way that kept her as far as possible from the most magical place on the earth. On reflection, the dad admits that in that moment, he was tempted to turn Lucy's fear into a bargaining chip. If you don't start behaving better, you're right. We won't take you. But instead, he asked her a question. He said, Lucy, is this trip something we're doing as a family? The little girl nodded her head. He said, Lucy, are you part of this family? She nodded her head again. Then you're going with us. Sure, there may be consequences to help you remember right and wrong, but you're part of our family and we're not leaving you behind. Now you'd think for a moment that Lucy's behavior from that point on was transformed and she became an angel, but the truth is um, it didn't. In fact, it seemed to get worse. But off they go to Disneyland and at the end of the first exhausting, fun-filled day, as dad was tucking Lucy into bed, he asked, Lucy, how was your first day at Disneyland? After a few moments, 
she looked up to her dad and said, Daddy, I finally got to go to Disneyland. But it wasn't because I was good. It's because I'm yours. That story is a story all about grace. And it's a lot like the amazing grace of Jesus that Paul's talking about here. We're like that little girl, Lucy. We've been brought into the family of God and have access to the most wonderful place in the world. But it's not the magic kingdom. It's God's kingdom. And we did absolutely nothing to deserve it. You see, grace is when God sees us as we truly are, just like Lucy's dad saw how she truly was, and yet still reaches out to us, still loves us unconditionally, still showers us with kindness, still forgives us unendingly, not because we're good, not because we've done good. Grace doesn't work like that. Grace is not like, you know in, in the Scouts, my son is in the Scouts, and he does things to earn merit badges. He does things like tying a special knot, and he gets a badge for it, or starting a fire from scratch, and he gets a badge for it, earned by achieving. Grace is unmerited. That means grace is received as something we did not earn, and something we did not deserve. Grace is described as unmerited favor. You know that to favor someone means that you like them a lot. You'll help them. You'll go out of your way to show kindness towards them. You're there for them. And the word favorite, so I say to Mark, you're my favorite, which he is, it comes from the word favored, which means the one I favor the most. That's you. <laughs> Have you ever thought about the fact that you're God's favorite? You're the one he favors the most. He breaks all the parenting rules, by the way that say, we're not supposed to have favorites, are we? That is a big no-no. You don't have favorites, but God breaks the rules because he has millions and millions of favorites. I remember when I was a little girl watching Strictly Come Dancing with Bruce Forsyth. And um, whenever there was a maybe below-par contestants, you know, the low-scoring contestants, what would he say to them at the end? Do you remember? You're still my favorite. And it was some kind of consolation to them. When God says, you're my favorite, it's far, far, far away from being a consolation. It's a celebration because it doesn't matter how you perform. It's nothing to do with your performance. God's kindness and his grace is showered upon you anyway. It's not dependent on how good you are. So going back to the scripture, Paul talks specifically about the grace of Jesus. He doesn't just talk about the grace of God. He specifically identifies Jesus, the grace of Jesus. And here's why. The word in the Bible, the word grace is like a diamond. It's just going to come up here. And a diamond has lots of facets. 
The word grace has so many rich meanings. Two in particular apply here. One is a gift and the other is kindness. You see, Jesus showed incredible, generous kindness when he gave his life up for people. When he was on the cross, he took all the punishment that we deserved and he placed it on himself. On the cross, Jesus gave us the gift of a relationship with God forever and ever. And it is something we cannot earn by ourselves. Um, Grace is the opposite, the very opposite of karma. Not karma. I know you like a good curry. Karma. Karma teaches us that what we do will come back to us. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. If you do good things, good things will happen. But grace doesn't play by those rules. Back in 2010, there was a guy you might have heard of called Bono. Anyone heard of Bono? He had this to say about grace and karma. It's clear to me that karma is at the heart of the universe. And yet, along comes this idea called grace to upend all of that. Grace defies logic and reason. Love interrupts, if you like, the consequences of your actions, which in my case is very good news indeed because I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Yes, you have, Bono. I'd be in big trouble if karma was going to finally be my judge. And this is what he says. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out for grace. I'm holding out, he says, that Jesus took my sins onto the cross because I know who I am and I hope, I really hope, I don't have to depend on my own efforts and my own religiosity holding out for grace. Are you holding out for grace? Grace is being loved when you're unlovable. The Bible says that even whilst we were still messed up, Christ died for us. Grace doesn't wait for you to get your life sorted out. Thank Jesus. Grace comes to us when we're broken. Grace comes to us when we're on our knees and we have nothing to offer in return. I love thinking about grace like this. Grace is one-way love. Grace is one-way love. It's love that seeks you out when you have nothing to give in return. And this is the extravagant love that Paul talks about in the next couple of lines. Now, I know 100%, I'm very assured that my husband loves me. I know it. In fact, I know that he loves me extravagantly because he once blew up 40 balloons and tied them to my car and made me drive around Kingswell because he loves me and he was willing to blow up 40 balloons. He once whisked me off to Italy because he loves me. He once bought me a diamond because he loves me. But nothing, absolutely nothing 
he could say or do could ever, ever surpass the extravagant love that God has for me and has for every person in this room. God's love for you is beyond calculation. It has no conditions on it. We, we like to think that we love unconditionally, but the truth is there's usually a little hint of a condition somewhere. God's love is unconditional, unwavering, uncontainable. It doesn't fluctuate depending on what mood he's in. And his love for us is why we can enjoy the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was willing to give up his beloved son. Can you imagine putting your son in the place where someone else should be punished? He loved us so much. Jesus loved us so much. That's what they were willing to do. His, their love for us is so strong. And the result, the third part, the result of God's love and his grace towards us is friendship. But not just how are you doing every now and again friendship. Intimate friendship. Another word for that is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. This is about, we're spiritual beings. This is about our spirit connecting with God's spirit. The spirit of God is many things. Comforter, leader, guiding us, teaching us truth. Intimacy with the Holy Spirit leads to lives that are marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These are all marks of being in an intimate relationship with the Spirit. Grace, love, friendship. Paul has put before us the perfect and complete description of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and at the same time given us a perfect and complete description of what God wants for us to be the normal Christian experience. Not, not the mountaintop experience that happens once a year at conference. The normal Christian experience is to be flooded with the grace of God, the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship. This is what happens. Out of his love for us, God extends grace to bring us into fellowship with him. Grace, love, fellowship. Grace, love, fellowship. As we live in fellowship with him, we experience and we know his grace and love more and more. And then, out of the overflow of that, of the grace, the love, and the fellowship, I know I'm being repetitive, but I want you to get this, we then can extend those things to each other. And do you know what? That's why Paul finishes his whole letter with this. It's back to basic stuff, isn't it? It's the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You see, things between the Corinthians and Paul, and even within themselves, has not been great. It's like they've forgotten to live out of the grace and the love and the fellowship. Paul knows their tendency to lean towards their own goodness, their own abilities. And so he brings it right back to Jesus and he says, embrace the grace of Jesus. 
don't do it on your own. Embrace the grace of Jesus. He knows their tendency to go after um, things that are impressive, power, miracles. So instead of drawing their attention to the power of God, it doesn't say the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the power of God. He focuses them on the thing that they're lacking, which is love. And he emphasizes the God of love, which remember in those days, there were no gods who loved people. There were only gods who put fear on people. And that's why people lived in the anxiety that they did. This was new. This was radical. A God of love. When Paul prays for that intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit over them, what he's saying is, don't function out of your own strength, but function out of the friendship of the Holy Spirit. Function out of the friendship of that intimacy. Because when you do that, you operate in love and grace. It, it, it just pours out of us. So he's saying, come on, Corinthian church. Come on, Aberdeen Catalyst Vineyard West Church. Oh, one day it will just flow. Get back to the truth of the grace and the love and the fellowship. He's calling us to live with a true perspective of who God is and a sense of his grace and love and friendship because his prayer is that it would be with you. He wants you to wake up in the morning and have a conscious awareness of the love of God in your life. That's what's going to give you confidence. That's what's going to give you, um, that's what's going to remove fear in your life. The Bible says that love, perfect love casts out fear. Have you lost the wonder of the grace and the love and the fellowship that is extended out to you from God? Kate, this is a prayer and a proclamation over your life. That um, the amazing grace of the Master Jesus Christ the extravagant love of God and the intimate friendship friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all your days and for each one of us. So it's a very simple message this morning, but it's a call back to that place of intimacy with God and being so moved by his love that we can't contain it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. beautiful. I realize that for some of you, you're maybe not familiar at all with what's been happening this morning. I just encourage you, just relax. Um, just relax. It's, it's all okay. Um, but what we do love to do is not just come and sing and hear some talk and you know, get our ears tickled. We believe that God is here that he is here when we gather, and he longs to speak to people. And so we give space for that. You can't have a conversation without giving space for it, to talk and then to listen. So we're going to pray. 
And sometimes what that looks like in our church is silence. Because often God can just speak directly into your heart. You get a sense, you maybe get butterflies in your tummy, or you just there's just something. And you've never maybe experienced it before. It's all okay. It's all okay because, as I said before, we are, we, we are spiritual beings. And God's spirit longs to speak to our spirit. So we leave time. Um, you might maybe feel it's a bit of an awkward silence, but it's all right. We're just waiting on God to speak. You might, you might feel something. You might feel nothing. It's all okay. We all hear and experience God in different ways. But I'm going to ask um, Beth and Charlotte to head back up. Because as we respond to God, we also sing in worship. So let's just wait a moment. Why don't we ask, why don't you ask the Holy Spirit, is there anything this morning that you want me, that, that needs to sink deep down into my heart this morning? Let's just wait in the Spirit.